You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. We're in Wales again today, meeting dairy farmer Gwyndaf Thomas. Gwyndaf owns and runs a 430-acre dairy farm in the rolling hills of Carmarthenshire in West Wales. The herd consists of 270 outdoor-run autumn calving cows, mostly Frisian, but also there's a few Jersey crosses in there. And the cows are grazed rotationally on grass. Uh, Gwyndaf grew up on what is now his brother's farm, and he moved to his family's other farm once the family had expanded. He has four teenage children, and there's also one full-time employee on his farm, um, in addition to Gwyndaf. Um, on top of this, he's a partner in another local dairy farm, so he's a busy guy. In 2016-17, um, he lost all his cows to TB, and had to establish a new herd from scratch, uh, which was a truly difficult time. And uh, so Gwyndaf knows all too well um, the pressures uh, of TB, um, which, of course, we unfortunately cover again and again on the podcast. And it doesn't really seem to be changing as a situation. Um, anyway, Gwyndaf, welcome to Meet the Farmers. Um, how is your week going? I know that you had a TB test yesterday um, and I hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah, hello, and thanks for you to invite me onto this uh, podcast as well. This now's what I've been doing this, anyways. We had a clear TB test yesterday, thank God. Right. I was yeah really nervous the night before. Could see a few cows here with some small lumps on them, but they were sort of avian TB lumps. And that's uh, something to worry about. Hopefully, all done and dusted now for another year. Good, but it's um, I'm, I imagine just putting myself in your shoes, especially going back to sixteen, seventeen. There's no such thing as an easy test. No, no, it's it's just pure Russian roulette, really, um, the way I look at it. Uh, tell us about Kamalanshir, uh, first of all. Let's talk about where you are. Uh, Kamalanshir is its home, really, for us. Biggest county in Wales. It's a high proportion of Welsh speakers. I think it's been picked last year by Carnarvon in North Wales as the most amount of Welsh speakers in the county. We're sort of out in the sticks, but not out-out, if you know what I mean. We're... Uh, Carmarthen Town itself is 15 minutes away from here. We're 40 minutes from Swansea, hour and a half from Cardiff. We're not too far from civilization. Uh, tell us a bit about the business, um, the herd, and, and where your milk goes. Yeah, so uh, the business here then is, like I said, on your intro, then a 270 cow autumn calving herd, predominantly Frisians. Trying to keep things as simple as can be, um, traditionally grazed grass right up until drying off so we're in the middle of drying cows off at the moment and we'll start calving again from um, end of august onwards right up until end of november so as they start calving and depending on weather conditions and, and grass in the autumn they start coming indoors and we wear all our heifer replacements and sell off any bull calves and beef surplus calves as long as we're free of tb they all either sold privately to various contacts or taken to local 
Mark and we've got a Martin Glamour. And um, the milk goes up to Newcastle and into a, a cheese factory called um, Dairy Partners. And they, oh, yeah. make, okay. they make mozzarella out of it. And that's all they do there is, is uh, mozzarella. I think the way then leaves Newcastle and to go up to um, the powder factory in um, Aberaeron. I don't know what they do with it. They, I think they were doing milk powder for calves, but I think also they do a lot of these um, protein drinks for sports companies, but people want these whey protein shakes and stuff like that. Okay. I mean, anyone not in dairy probably won't know quite how how hard it is at the moment this period in particular we're hoping we were hoping that probably going into into the fourth quarter of the year that things might be improving um but it's it's a tough year in dairy isn't it yeah it's uh no fun at all at the moment uh when you look at the bank statement you know we've got the carryover of the high costs the input costs from last year and feed prices have eased back touch but not much fertilizer now has He's back, but you know, obviously, fertilizer would have been bought. Sort of, I certainly bought some stock of fertilizer last autumn, and my sort of conclusion spreading it around the place here, knowing that it's 30 40 percent cheaper now than what it was last year. I can understand from the government's point of view, they want to get inflation under control, but so there's a major push on food prices, and um, uh, the milk companies have responded as well. You know, they're no, it's definitely one of those periods um which I know that the pig sector gets as as well. It's like sort of it's it's just one of those stick in there um years and um things will hopefully turn around again. Uh, let's go let's go back a bit. Um so you grew up on what is now your brother's farm. What was the farm like then and, and just give us an idea of how it's changed over time. So yeah, mum and dad bought the home farm then in, yeah, they took it on in 1976. I was born in 78. And my sister, um, a year later, and my brother, a year later again. So three of us are quite close in age. Yeah, dad, dad's passion was just milking cows. He'd originally, he'd, he himself and my mother then both grew up on farms. And, uh, but he had a passion for horses and he was a, a jockey for a while. Oh, really? And, in this part of the country, and um, ultimately settled down to become a dairy farmer. And to get established um, quickly, they uh, bought cows and put them to a beef bowl, so kept a flying herd and realized that that seemed to work right. It significantly less capital outlay required than if you were wearing all your own replacements. And it was a very good way to get established. So within six or seven years, you could say they were up to. 200, 220 cows milking on wow. a grass-based system, although strip grazing in the summer and self-feed silage in the winter. So as we were growing up, you know, we were we were keen on farming as well and loved everything about farming. But we also could see that um, we wanted, myself and my brother, wanted to go down the route of maybe feeding higher yielding cows and, and getting a mixer wagon and, you know, the age was coming then towards in the 90s of mixer wagons coming on onto the market and, and yep. the availability of uh, straight feeds as opposed to just buying concentrates. So, yeah, over time, the herd have expanded and we've gone down that route. Um, as kids growing up, looking back now, since having these list of questions to you, and like, um, how on earth we managed to escape childhood in one piece, I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> semi-ferrite yeah 
I mean, either way, you, you went through that and uh, you eventually went to uh, ABBA to do a degree in agriculture. Uh, but while you were there, your dad had an accident, um, which meant that you ultimately returned to the family farm. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that and, and what happened? Well, I initially went to college because a lot of farmers and them, they just love their machinery. And I wanted to do agricultural engineering to start off with. Okay. But I switched to do um, agricultural business. I went to Aberystwyth in 97. It was supposed to be just a straight three years course in, in Aberystwyth. But I was offered the chance to, I had a bursary with Wednesday, and I was offered a chance to work for them for a year as a gap year then. So, um, Wednesday, uh, was in, I think they'd just become a PLC then, and they were, you know, they were a company based in Mid Wales, and they were just starting to expand. They'd gone into partnership with a feed mill in Carmarthen. So, um, for a while, I could spend my time in Carmarthen with them. And, um, yeah, uh, it was, well, Dad had just had his, 50th in 1998, so I was, I was starting my um, year out with Wednesday then. In February of uh, 1999, yeah, I was up in college, and um, yeah, he had an accident on the farm then, and from what, you know, um, from what my mum was saying then, that we were making together one, um, one afternoon. And my father had um, went to sort of hold a freshly carved heifer, Steady, whilst my mother could put the milking unit on her, and from nowhere, a cow was bullying or in the yard there, jumping on it, two cows were jumping on each other, and one of them sort of came into the back of the milking parlor where my father was standing in and just uh, squeezed him up against the frame of the milking parlor. And at the time, he didn't, you know, he didn't think anything of it. He just was, say, um, badly winded, and he just went to sit down on the step there outside the milking parlor just to get his breath back. And he was fine, they carried on, finished with cream washed down and everything. And a day or two later, he was complaining of sort of uh, tight chest and um, shortness of breath. So my mother convinced him that he needs to go and see to the doctor just in case. And they didn't think anything of the fact that he'd been squashed in the milk parlor against the stalwart. He reluctantly went to the doctor then a few days later, and um, the doctor then sent him straight to the hospital in Kamarden. So for a period of days there, they were treating him initially for sort of a heart condition, maybe. And, um, but he was perfectly healthy, even though he'd had a history. He'd been smoking years ago when, when we were kids, but he'd given up on smoking many, many, many years before that. And um, uh, yeah, within a week of going to the hospital, he passed away. He'd had um, this My thing gosh. called, uh, I pronounce it right, it's either mediastinitis or mediastinitis. It's a, it's an infection in the cavity between the lungs and the heart. And basically, the, from what the doctor said then, that um, because of the, the crush that he had, um, there was a weakness there, maybe a slight um, crack in one of the ribs that they actually couldn't even pick up on, on the x-ray. Um, and that had become um, infected and had infected that cavity then. So, um, yeah. That's that's affected us for a long time. Yeah, no, completely. And I mean, in the in the short term of that time, I mean, that must have been utterly horrendous for for you, you your, your brother, your sister, your, your mother. But in this in the strange way that um, that that family farms work as well. So you don't 
you're not only going through that, you also then have the issue of what happens with the farm day to day. So can you take us through sort of that experience? Well, I was up in Aberystwyth and mum formed. I knew that dad had gone into hospital and we think, oh, well, just a checkup, he'll be fine. And uh, mum said, no, you better come home. The doctor wants, wants us all here. Then that's the change of thing. So I went home and, um, well, you know, we were lucky then. My uncle, my uncles came up to our um, uncle and came to help with milking and feeding, and and uh, neighbours as well. They were they were great in helping out, as well. And um, so, you know, as, as a typical dairy farm, the, the day-to-day running of the herd still has to carry on and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so that was it's kind of a blur, really. And um, if truth be said. You know, once the funeral had been and everything like that, well, you know, obviously neighbours and family were coming to help with making the cows and feeding because this was February coming into March, well, cows were still in. And, uh, you know, and, and we don't appreciate that these people have got their own families and own businesses to, to see to as well. And I was on my tap here then, then with Wednesday and they were, they were really supportive. They sort of, you know, if you need time at home. And don't bother coming here, sort of um, make sure everything's right at home. And um, yeah. just go back outside then and, and um, you know, pick up on, on things that need doing. And we're coming into spring, you know, slurry and luck needs to be spread, the, the fertilizer needs to go out, uh, stuff like that. And it should be said, maybe, really, we should have paid somebody to manage the place for a, for a good couple of weeks or, or certainly a fortnight as well and for the family for us my mother and my brother and i and uh, my sister just to go and hire a log cabin somewhere and just go for a fortnight yeah. and, and be together and properly mourn I, I do feel that subsequent things that have happened with the family over the years that it all comes back to that not having that time together properly known uh, or lost them. So you kind of see then how you sort of you sort of bumble along for a for a while and then things things come along and you, you, um, you tackle them as they confront you. Not having had the chance to sort of sit back and, and mourn and, and properly look at what we're about, what we're doing, are we doing the right thing or not. This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Aplan Rural. Why did I want to collaborate with Aplan Rural? Well, having got to know them, their team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we are both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. So it seemed quite a good fit. Quite frankly, together we will be able to do a lot more. Aplan Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences, and they also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Aplan Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. Really, really tough time. Um and and actually that's I mean that's testament to 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 all of you and that sort of ongoing basis that I mean you did you you grew and and, and developed the business. Um and, and eventually you actually uh, as as your families grew, as your own families grew, 
the two farms. So your your brother uh, is is still at the farm where you grew up. You're on the other farm. Um, how did that come about in terms of I suppose deciding to to, to take that step? In 1995, then we took on this farm we're living now, and and that was all gung ho about everything. You know, the, the sort of mantra was bigger, faster, more. Like we just wanted more cows when we just taken on this farm. Well, I, I even remember bef- before this, just before we took on kind of right where I live now then, you know, when dad keen and eager wanting to expand and, and develop, he was, he felt that, you know, we had a system of milk quarters back then that was just hindering any progress whatsoever. And I remember us as kids, uh, we went as a family down to Camarillo there was a guy who'd come over from Canada with a seminar about Canadian farming. And we went and dad was hooked on it. I remember him, I remember sitting on top of the landing there, uh, looking at him uh, down in the hallway with the phone. There was no, there was no mobile phone. Yeah. The landline just, the phone just permanently on a, on a bit of a working top there in the, in the hallway. And um, we sat there for hours talking to guys farming in America. And this would be late at night. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he'd be talking to the Canadian farmers to see how they're getting on and the costs and the paperwork and everything. And uh, we've gone as far as going to the Canadian embassy in London to have an interview. And it was just a it's just just a case then of buying a ticket and going out to Canada to view some farms. And um yeah, uh, dad was really really keen on going. Mum probably not so much. And then um my grandfather, mum's dad then had a had a massive heart attack. Oh and gosh, that sort of put the stop to those plans then. Right. So, um, gosh, yeah. things things could have been very different then. Yeah, we could have been. Yeah, he was seriously looking at Manitoba um, and Saskatchewan and um, Alberta and the Midwest areas in, in Canada. With my grandfather then seriously ill in hospital, that, that could have stopped all those plans. And then this place came up, and Dad just went for it, and then. Um, so, but we didn't start making, we were just keeping young stock and, and beef cattle over here. Uh, that passed away in February 1999. Uh, block of land came up in the market just down the road from here in, later on in June, July of that year. And mum um, and myself and my brother were looking at each other and thinking, well, if dad was here, dad would go for it. Let's go. And in terms of uh, where you're going from here, sort of where, where you'd like the business to go, um, what, what would be your plans? Over the years, then we carried on with the, with the, the system of, um, rightly or wrongly, carried on the system of a flying herd where we put everything to beef. And as time was going on, I could see as well that things were changing. TB was becoming, whereas up until the late 90s, TB was not an issue, so flight being a flying herd wasn't an issue. But as time was going on, I could see, you know, anything coming over the brow of the hill that Welsh government weren't doing much about the Budget Protection Act to come in and, you know, more and more cases of TB being heard of. Um, you know, I was sat and think, well, we should really start wearing our own heifers so that we can have a, a buffer because when you're running a flying herd and you get locked up in TB, then You've got A, you've got all these beef calves that you can't sell. Yeah. And then all these farming uh, cows that are going and, and you can't replace them. So, um, 
and at that time as well, you could also see there was a change of you know, when when mum and dad were running a flying herd back in the eighties and in the early nineties. The cows that were for sale were predominantly fusion, but as time was going on, they were becoming more Holstein. So your, your grass-based system wasn't really seeping. So we were you can sort of see how the evolution of cows then being housed and then TMR feeding and then three times a day milking yep. came into being. Uh, and so up until sort of uh, 2007, 2008, there would be um, between two cases. Uh, just over 800 cows um, on a uh, high input three times a day milking. You know, the, the, the Eastern European, the availability of Eastern Europeans came about in 2004. So, we one of the first kept Polish people in here. And, but, and uh, touching on that, that was also a difficult thing to have at the time where you know, I was only 21 when dad passed away. You know, brothers, um, uh, and a half years younger than me. And, you know, wanting to do our thing on the farm, but being at such a young age as well, where when it came to wanting extra help on the farm or employing people, you kind of, everybody was older than you. And yeah, trying to, without, you know, we didn't want to come across as somebody who's young and cocky and new at all, because we obviously didn't, but trying to get people that are older than you to, to, um, Try and get what you want to do. Uh, yeah. Found that to be really difficult. Which, which when, which all these people turned up, then that, you know, didn't find out an issue. There's a language barrier to start off with. <laughs> and they were willing to crack on with doing things. So, um, yeah. Um, so over time, um, I can see that, um, you know, we made it two years old as well. We, expanded quite fast and we acquired a significant amount of uh, debt as well at the time and um, so uh, just looking around seeing that there's a there's a there's a large proportion of dairy farmers here in, in West Wales that are really glass-based block carving that sort of embraced the sort of New Zealand style of things and I just look, look at uh, over the heads type of thing they were doing all right for themselves and you know, they might have been annoyed when the price dips or goes down, but they never seem to have the same hassle as what we, we had when we were running our sort of high input system. And I sort of thought there must be a better way of doing things, both economically and um, environmentally and socially, because um, you know, when you're on a high input system, it's, it's go, go, go all the time, you know? And, yeah. Um, so coming back from what I said earlier on of the things that have happened in the family over the years as well since dad passed away is again not having that time to sit down together initially to properly mourn my father's loss but with the system then that we sort of evolved again not having the time to, to sit back and take a sort of a world view of it and and, um, and, and make proper decisions on how the business should go forward. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, towards 2010, 2012, uh, uh, things were pretty awkward at the time. And in 2015, you know, by then, wanted to retire and everything. So the business was restructured. So 
I took on this farm and I got it took on the whole farm and then everybody on this other place. Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Aplan Rural. They provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit aplan.co.uk forward slash rural. That's aplan.co.uk forward slash rural. In terms of challenges and opportunities, I suppose, of, of where you're sitting today, how do you see the lie of the land? Challenges, or as my friend allowed to say, it, challenge number one is Welsh government. Challenge number two yeah. is Welsh government. Challenge number three is Welsh government. <laughs> yeah, the challenge is that, that name, number one, one here in West Wales is TB and Welsh government's inability or unwillingness to do anything about it. It's just holding everybody hostage, really. And you know, when you're sending barren cows to sort of you think to yourself, well, if, if you need to buy something in, then let's buy something in first because if something goes and they find TV on it, then we're locked up then, which which then has the implication on the cash flow because you've got to spend the cash before you're getting it in. Things like that, you know. On top of that, the, the issue that it's having and the pressure is putting on families and, and staff and everything like that. Uh, we're going to start to round things up. Uh, so I'll ask you the last few questions. The first is, Gwendaf, what is your message for the public? Well, the message here for the public is shop locally, support your local farmers, and don't be afraid to ask questions, uh, uh, you know, rather than just Googling it or, or going on Twitter and listening to the, the mombiots of this world, then ask the farmer and try and Try and find, you know, there's plenty of farms or open farm Sunday and things like that. It's a great place to find information uh, and and don't look at things in isolation. You know, there's we live in a complex world uh, and everything like that. Some people say that cutting back on meat will save the world, cutting back on so and so will save the world. Uh, and oh, there's a whole range of things and, and it's very nuanced. Uh, we don't know all the answers, but don't be afraid to ask questions uh, and talk to farmers and listen to their stories but we're all human at the end of the day and your message to your fellow farmers our message to your fellow farmers is you know, let's let's not overcomplicate the, the job we're our own worst enemies sometimes when we complain about the weather we complain about high costs and, and i'm sure i've done a bit of it here now we complain about <laughs> everything but we're also you know when it comes to attracting people into the industry you know, sometimes we just overcomplicate the whole thing. Uh, I had a, since going on this system and changing to a gospel system, I had a, and, and when I restocked after losing the TV in 2017, I had a local lad come and work here. He wasn't from a farming background, and he couldn't believe once he'd gotten all the, 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 the gist of things and milking and and thinning uh, cows out the pasture and, and allocating paddocks and stuff like that you can believe he thought it would be far more complicated than what it actually is okay when his brother came to visit and his brother lives in london and when he brought a few of his friends here and they were here one weekend milking with him uh, and i thought that was that was really nice because if those guys then you know with those guys going back to london and if anybody was going to stand up to them and, and say something derogatory or negative about farming then at least they could say hang on a minute we spent a weekend on a farm in west wales they were outside together with tidy 
they were looked after. So, and, and I think more of that we need. We need more of that connection with the Zanah public, but more so in the Zanah public in, in towns and cities then. And finally, uh, your recommendation for a blog, podcast, or social media account to follow, which can be farming or non-farming. Well, there's a podcast I tend to listen to, which is a Welsh one, Year to the Ground, farming stuff. That's a good one. Um, I do tend to listen a bit to um, David Maguire uh, in Ireland, and it just offers a, a perspective from an Irish perspective then of... Um, of people looking into the UK and um, sometimes uh, that's a good one. Or and another one, uh, Pub News with Jacob Anthony and Paul. Yeah, of course. Uh, bit of a laugh. Yeah, those would be my recommendations. Eh? Fantastic. Uh, we'll leave it there for today, Gwyndeff. But thank you so, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you so much for being so, yeah, just so open about your story. Because uh, yeah, Limey has been through been through a lot there in in, in various sort of guises and. Uh, I think yeah, where where you've taken the business and and how you've been able to sort of remain. I think the the, the word resilient seems to be used a lot um, at the moment, but I think your story is definitely testimony to that. So, um, just really well done, and um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. That's it for today. Um, big thanks to Gwynda for coming on the show. If you haven't already, please do like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Next time, we'll be in the Southwest uh, meeting Liz Bowles, who is a sheep farmer, and she's also CEO of the Farm Carbon Toolkit. Uh, thanks again to Gwyndeff for today and to our primary podcast sponsor, Aplant Rural Insurance, for supporting the show. Please see the show notes for more information for any links mentioned today. For now, though, I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll have a great week.